Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. All right, so let me open with a, I will admit this is a made-up news story, but I'm going to open with it nonetheless. Here's, here's how it reads. Man, 91, dies waiting for the will of God. Tupelo, Missouri. Walter Houston, described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. He hung around the house and prayed a lot, but just never got that confirmation, his wife Ruby says. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure, and he'd start the process all over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what his life was about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, he would pull back because he didn't want to disappoint God or go against him in any way. Ruby says he was very sensitive to always remaining in God's will. That was primary to him. (laughs) Okay, well, that's a fake news story, obviously. Uh, It's from Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something, which is about kind of our topic of uh, following God's will. And it's a bit ridiculous, but it does point out a temptation for us sometimes to always be seeking God's will, but never doing God's will, okay? Uh, And so that becomes clear with statements like, he was very sensitive to always remaining in God's will, but of course he was always just kind of waiting around for it. So was he really sensitive to God's will? And that's where we get into sticky issues sometimes. What does it mean to be sensitive to God's will, right? What does it mean to be seeking God's will, trying to determine God's will, living by God's will, right? Or maybe a phrase you've heard before, I'm I'm staying in the will of God, right? Um, All of these things can kind of confuse uh, the issue and... uh, get a little complicated sometimes of understanding what it means to follow God and to please Him. This is our ninth class in our course here. We started with the idea of fearing God, not men. And uh, you remember talking through that and how, you know, the things that we respect, the things that we fear, to use another term, really do end up guiding a lot of our lives, a lot of our decisions, a lot of the ways we live. And so if we fear men, that will sort of rule us. So we want to fear God above all else. And that's a great starting place as we think about then following God, living by God's will. But tonight we want to answer the question, what is God's will? All this talk about uh, following God's will, living by God's will, that's all fine. But what do we even mean by that? Right? What is the will of God? Um, is it, you know, like, like the Daniel and uh, in, in the king's courtroom scene where that's this writing on the wall? Is that the will of God? Do we, what are we actually searching for when we say that? So as we try to answer that question, there are two 
two ways to answer it, actually. And as we think through uh, Christianity and God's Word, uh, there are two types of God's will that is often talked about, okay? And so you have in your notes there, uh, number one, what we could call God's will of decree. God's will of decree. Somebody be willing to turn to Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, and read that um, aloud for us. Anybody? Carrie, thank you. Okay, so um, Moses actually refers to two ideas in that verse. He begins with what he calls the secret things, which are known to God alone. So that's our first category here, God's will of decree. This is sometimes called God's providence, God's sovereignty, um, or God's secret will, referencing Deuteronomy 29 here. And it's kind of what we looked at last week. Seth Thompson taught on the sovereignty of God. This is that God rules all things. Um, So from our perspective, we could also call this uh, history. (laughs) It's It's when we look backwards and say, oh, well, I see what happened. So apparently that was God's will, right? Because God rules all things. He's in control. And so we can always look back and say, well, this is what he allowed. This is what he brought to pass. And so this was God's will, uh, how his sovereign rule played out. Now, what's interesting is that God knows what that is for the future as well. We do not. We know bits and pieces, right? He's revealed some things to us. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's secret. It's known to the Lord alone, and he's sovereign. Um, so how, you know, how do you know that it was God's will for you to marry your spouse? Well, because you're married to them right? <laughs> so it happened. Therefore, it was God's will. And this, this is sort of helpful in different scenarios of life because sometimes we look back and we wonder, well, maybe I made a mistake. But it's good to remember there's a sovereign God who's larger even than our mistakes. And the question is not so much, how do I go back and undo my mistakes, but rather, how do I please the Lord where I am today moving forward? How do I make the next right decision? Uh, so God's will of decree. The other category is God's will of command. And before we go to 1 Thessalonians, stay here in Deuteronomy 29, because he references that in Deuteronomy 29 as well. He begins with the secret things, that's God's sovereign will, but then he goes to the things which are revealed, belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So Moses refers to the law of God, which is what they had of God's word at that time, as the revealed will of God. And so that's what we mean by God's will of command. It's his revealed will. Sometimes it's called it's his, his moral will. It's his written word. We could look at it that way. So the scriptures actually communicate to us the will of God. Um, this is sometimes also called the, the, his will of desire. Because there are actually things in scripture that we're told that God wants, but that he doesn't force to happen. So he has a will of desire. He wants it to happen, 
but he doesn't make it happen. It's not part of his sovereign will. Can anybody think of any examples like that? Things that we know that God says he wants, but he doesn't force to happen as a part of his sovereign will. So it's will of desire as opposed to will of decree. Yes. There, uh, do you remember what passage that is? Second Peter 3, I think. Um, the patience of God waited, desiring, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There may be another place where he says that too. But yeah, it's God's desire that all would come to repentance. Uh, but he doesn't force that to happen. He doesn't make everyone come to repentance. Anybody think of any other ideas? Yeah. Be holy, right, right. Yeah, be holy as I am holy, right? So we know that God wants us to be holy. Now, there's a point at which God will make that happen, right? When we are in heaven with him, we will be fully sanctified, but he doesn't, while we're here on earth anyway, he doesn't force us to be holy, does he? He wants it, but we are free to sin. You're right. Because he doesn't what? What was the last part? He's outside of time, yeah. No, I think that verse is referring to this life. Yeah, yeah. In the context of First Peter, there, um, he's writing to believers living in this life, and it says, "Be holy." Be holy as I am holy. And so I think it's, I think it's rightly applied to this life. Um, I'm just saying there, there is a time when God will bring that, for the believers anyway, there's a time when God will bring that to pass as well, which is kind of neat. So that one's kind of both, isn't it? He desires it for this life, but doesn't force it. But then in eternity, it will be, it will be true. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's a, it's a good example in our lives, too, of something we want, we will for, but we can't make it happen, right? Other, any other examples? It's kind of fun to think about. <clears throat> well, I think you get the idea. It actually comes up very frequently in Scripture. In fact, we could actually talk about pretty much any one of God's commands for mankind, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know that God wants that, <laughs> but, um, you know, how often does that happen fully the way God wants it to happen, right? Or love others as yourselves, uh, right? Again, God wants that, but he doesn't force it to happen. We fall short of that over and over and over again. So it actually is all through Scripture where we read of things that God, we know God wants. Like this is his goal. This is his desire. But it's not a part of his decreed will necessarily. He doesn't force it to happen, okay? Uh, so helpful to think through those two distinctions. Now, those two distinctions help us with something else, because in the Christian life, one of the big pitfalls, one of the big frustrations, and a place where um, just a whole lot of trouble develops, is when we as Christians, we try to live in the realm of number one, God's, God's will of decree. And we spend so much of our energy uh, dwelling on that side of God's will. We either, for instance, I'll just give you some examples, we try to control the future, 
right? We don't trust God to be this sovereign one. Uh, we fear what's going to happen, and so we, you know, spend our time worrying or arranging our circumstances to try to control future outcomes. We try to play God regarding the future. Or let's take things that have already happened in the past, things that God has allowed by His decree. Rather than just letting God be God and submitting to Him, we resist Him. We get angry with Him about things He's allowed, and we push back on what God is doing by His sovereign decree. We waste, as believers, tons and tons and tons of time and energy trying to be God, messing with number one, which is all His control, and and it's just for Him. And in the meantime, what we end up doing, the more time we dwell on number one, trying to sort of be God ourselves, we sort of end up ignoring number two, which is what we actually have control over, right? The commands that God has given us. Um, So for instance, the great example we'll get to later in this lesson is uh, Matthew um, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter six, when Jesus is talking about, uh, do not worry, right? Um, So, you know, in the passage, uh, Jesus is talking about how the Father will supply your needs. He'll take care of you, okay? So what's your job? Don't worry. So we have the decree of God that He will meet our needs. And then we have the command of God, don't worry. But we actually spend a whole lot of life doing the opposite, We go crazy trying to meet our needs and trying to get all these things to happen and trying to make life the way we want it to be, all the time worrying (laughs) about it all, right? That's just one example of where we sort of try to be God, and then we don't do the things that God has asked us to do. And a lot of Christian life problems are solved when we get back to our right roles. Let God be God. Let him control what only he can control, and I'll control what I can control, which is my obedience to his commands. Uh, so that's just a side note, kind of fun to think about those two things and how, how they, they often get re- reversed in the Christian life and a good reminder. Um, sometimes our problems are as simple as switching those back and getting in the right, uh, getting the right position again, controlling what I can control. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what God's will is not. What God's will is not. There's a lot of confusion about God's will and what it is. And so let's just shoot down a few ideas here. Number one, it's not a choose-your-own-adventure book. Anybody read a choose-your-own-adventure book? Done those before? They're kind of fun. I'm really glad life is not like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Where if you find the right path, you go on to glory, and if you turn to the wrong page, you die a horrible death in a volcano or something like that. So we are uh, we're not writing the story ourselves. God has decreed certain things. One of God's decrees is that all things will work together for good to those who are His children. So I'm really glad that God's the one writing the story and not me, Okay. <clears throat> It's also not a fairy tale of comfort and happiness. Sometimes God's will is viewed in terms of, if I'm successfully following God's will, it will equals more and more comfort and happiness. Okay? So it's like, 
one path of God's will, or, or maybe just the path of God's will, is just this rosy, pleasant garden. And so anytime I go through suffering or difficulty, I interpret that as, well, apparently I'm out of God's will again, right? And so that's why I'm going through this really hard time. This is not the teaching of the Bible. Um, First Peter is a, is a great example. It's a whole book <laughs> about how it will sometimes be the will of God that his children suffer. Okay, that's what, that's what First Peter is about. And it begins with this really rich reminder that um, that suffering is a part of even God's love for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, begotten us again according to his mercy through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. It goes on and on and on to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled which does not fade away. I mean, there's beautiful truths about God's salvation. But then he says, if need be, you may be for a little while going through suffering. You may be found at the revelation of Jesus Christ to the praise and honor of glory of him. So God in his salvation may have it as a part of his will that we suffer. So it's not, you know, that we're just trying to seek out this fairy tale life um, and that if we're suffering, I must be off the will of God, trying to get back on the yellow brick road. Not so. Number three, it's not a target you can somehow miss. God in his will allows us to disobey his will of command but we can never escape his will of decree. And again, we, get it, we start to get into the realm here of things that are hard for our brains to fully fathom how they work. But God arranged the plan of the world and salvation in Jesus Christ to include in his sovereign plan our evil rebellion, right? He knew it was going to happen, he did not stop it from happening, and he even is using it for good. And our evil rebellion, I mean, our as far as mankind in general, but of course also me personally, does not stop the sovereign will of God. And I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad for that. So his will of decree reigns supreme over our sin. There are consequences for sin, that's true. Um, and so, in that sense, when we sin, uh, we may have to face consequences, but we've not destroyed or thwarted or messed up or ruined uh, the decreed will of God, right? God's plan is still in motion. Um, and I can get back on track right away by submitting again to his command will of God, right? So, oh, I messed up. Okay, well, what's the next command I can obey? And I'm back on track again. And, uh, and so thankfully, it's not like we've missed the target or gotten off the path and it's ruined forever. Um, I'm really thankful that it does not work this way. So that brings us to the practical question then of, uh, well, we'll just pick a funny example, okay? So does God want you to marry Tommy? What's, how are we going to find out? I suppose if we're thinking of the decreed will of God, the only way to find out is to try, If you end up married to Tommy, then it must have been God's will. If you're not married to Tommy, then it must not have been God's will, right? So we just try all these things, try marrying Tommy, and find out what God's decreed will is. Is that how it works? No, obviously not. Please don't go marry Tommy. 
Maybe uh, a better way to ask the question is, should I marry Tommy or is it wise to marry Tommy? Meaning sometimes we're looking to the future, trying to determine what God's sovereign plan is, what his decreed plan is. If there's some way for me to discern what only God knows. But I don't think that's the goal. I think the goal instead is to live in the category of what he's commanded as his will. Again, like we were talking at the beginning, we get all distracted when we try to be God. And we do much better when we stay in our lane and just, just control what he's told me to control. So a better way to ask it is, should I marry Tommy? Is it wise to marry Tommy? Does God want me to marry Tommy? <laughs> well, in my case, the answer is clearly no. I'm already married. So we begin to apply the principles of Scripture to make these decisions, right? Uh, the Bible instructs us in all sorts of ways. Um, and there are quite a few issues in Scripture that would keep me from marrying Tommy, praise God. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so we begin thinking through what the Word says and what God's will in that sense is for us. So we make sound decisions, uh, we pray, we get counsel, we go back again and, and again and again to the instructions of God's Word. What has he told me to do? And it's amazing, God, with his sovereign plan, has designed the world to work in such a way, designed our lives to work in such a way, that often the very thing I need to know the next right step becomes apparent as I take the first right step. Okay? And again, it's not that God's trying to like hide things from us or whatever, I just think it's the wisdom by which he's designed the world. Um, and so, so, for instance, you know, let's say after church, you know, we want to know God's path to get back to my car, right? And so I want to know every step along the way, do I turn right or do I turn left? And so we want to have the whole plan envisioned from beginning to end, Right? And the weather's, what the weather's going to be like once we get outside and what I should be wearing and so on and so forth. But oftentimes what God is calling us to do is just to take the next step, right? Well, if you're going to get to your car, you've got to step forward, right? And you've got to move. Then you're going to have to get out in the foyer. And it may be that when you're out in the foyer, instead of getting out to your car, he has a conversation for you to have with somebody. And you end up talking and you realize that, well, actually, it's hailing outside, so it's not a good time to go outside, right? Now, so if I had tried to come up with this whole plan here, I couldn't have imagined all of that. But if I take step by step by step, it's amazing how God often uses that to make clear the next step, to give me the strength and information I need to then go from there. Um, and again, if I will stay in my lane and not try to do God's job, and just come back over here to what he's commanded me to do, it often clarifies the next step. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light then to the path, which implies to me it's, it's close. It's right here. <laughs> and so the word helps me with those next steps, not necessarily with, well, of course, it helps with everything, but mainly with our next steps. Okay, so let's think about God's will for his people. Number one, his will is that we obey. And I just realized we never went to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. 
this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So that was 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. And it's an example of a command of God. This is God's will for you. Abstain from sexual immorality. So um, Maria's example before is another great example. Be holy as I am holy. It's a command of God for us uh, to obey. So his will is that we obey. Uh, John 14, 21. It's one of those uh, passages that compares, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, I'll read this one for us once I get to it. There we go. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So his will is that we obey him, that we keep his commands. So what implications does that have for our decisions? A few things. First of all, God will never lead you to contradict his word. It's just, it's, that clarifies a ton of things, actually. God's will for me will never involve disobeying Scripture. And that's a really helpful starting place. Uh, I think sometimes we just skip right past that. Well, what does Scripture prohibit me from doing? And then I know I should not be doing those things, right? And if I find myself doing those things, I don't, you know, suddenly like, ah, I'm out of the will of God. Well, no, no, just do the right thing. Right? Stop doing the wrong thing. Start doing the right thing. Hey, we're good. God's word helps us to know how he wants us to live, and he will never lead us to contradict his word. So back to the should, should I marry Tommy illustration, right? For me, that one closes that door super fast, which is really great. And I didn't want to marry Tommy anyway, okay? <laughs> Secondly, obedience is the path to wisdom. Obedience is the path to wisdom. Somebody willing to read Romans 12, 2. Marcia, thank you. Okay. Do not be conformed to this world, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that lead to? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So saying no to those things that will conform me to the world, getting in the scriptures to renew my mind, and saying yes to those things that God has told me to do, that God's word speaks to me, is what leads me into the will of God. Obedience is the path to wisdom. Um, Living a wise life is a life that is ordered around the Word of God. Interestingly enough, if we were to uh, think of the book of Proverbs, think back to your days reading the book of Proverbs. You ever read through the book of Proverbs in a month or whatever? Great activity to do. Do you remember what is the beginning of wisdom The fear of the Lord. Oh, that's what this class is about. How do you like that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So a life that can live skillfully and wise starts with an awe and respect and reverence for God. 
that He is above all, that, I, that I'm not concerned what people think of me, but rather what the Lord thinks and that I want to live for Him and please Him. That's the beginning of the wise life. And it just plays out from there. If I fear God, if I respect Him and His Word, right, then this book becomes my guide. Like what He's told me will really matter to me. And that's what leads to a wise life lived out. So obeying the Word of God, that's what wisdom is. That's what wisdom is. And so as we think about making wise choices, uh, it's rooted a lot in fearing God and keeping His commands. And that as we live that way, wisdom is sort of played out in our lives. And when it comes time to make a decision from our lifestyle, from walking in the Word and fearing the Lord, we will always have everything we need in that scenario to make that decision. So there's a rich promise in James chapter 1, verse 4, um, primarily applied in the context of trials and tribulations when we're going through difficult times, but not wrongly applied beyond that as well. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, right? Cool, cool promise. Um, And so the Lord does help us with wisdom and understanding, and there's a degree of that 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 we could say is supernatural, Um, but the vast majority of that, sometimes when when we ask for wisdom in that way, we're sort of waiting for this, like, lightning bolt of understanding, you know? It's like, I get it now, you know? But often the way that God brings that wisdom, that, that is not some like feeling that goes over us, but just our interactions with His Word, with His people, and there's typically not a like lightning bulb moment or, a, or even a lightning bolt moment, um, but just that when we come to that place of decision, I can look back and I can trust, having prayed for wisdom, that God provided it through His Word and through His people. And it's time to make the choice. I have the wisdom I need. I've been searching the scriptures. I've been talking with him. I've been seeking counsel. So let's make the choice. And let's live in a way that's pleasing to him. Uh, So obedience is the path to wisdom. Let's continue on. His will is that we be holy. Okay, so we talked about 1 Thessalonians 4.3. And how the Lord wants us to live holy lives. Abstain from sexual immorality. This is helpful for us because it sort of defeats that lie that the will of God is the path of like just comfort and happiness. Don't misunderstand me. There's joy in the Christian life in walking with the Lord. But there are times when he will allow things that refine us because one of the things he desires for us, he's commanded for us, is holiness. And so he will bring things into our lives that are uncomfortable, painful. First um, Peter talks about this, again, going back to a book about suffering, that God is always using that suffering to refine us, that your faith though tested, 
more precious than gold will be brought forth to the praise, honor, and glory of Christ. So God does refine us in the fire, make us more like Christ. And that's helpful to remember when we go through those trials, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh no, I've like wandered from God's will and he's doing this because I'm, I'm sinning in some way. I mean, it's, it's not always bad to ask that question. Is this God's discipline? But there are times that God allows just suffering because he's making me more like Jesus. He's making me holy. Um, and that's a good thing. This comes up as well in Romans 8, 28. It's a part of the verse that we don't think about as much. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and have been called according to a, his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Did you catch that? God works all things together for good. But what's the good referring to? That we would be conformed to the image of his Son. We often think of good in terms of what's comfortable, what's, what's, what makes me smile, <laughs> right? What makes me happy. And those things can be fine. But God's goal for us is so much higher and better. It's to be conformed to Christ's image. It's our holiness. Number three, his will is that Christ be exalted. Ephesians chapter 1 walks through um, a description of salvation, ultimately. And uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and read those verses because you'll notice time and time again the reason that God has saved us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. <clears throat> Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him." In him we also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So even our salvation leads to the praise of his glory, God accomplishing through us what would exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. So that leads us to our final section, how to do God's will, how to do God's will. Now we get real practical. Well, you just have to figure out what God's sovereign will is. No, no, no. We've already shot that down. We look at the scriptures to figure out how to do God's will. We look at his commands. What has the word said? And how, as I live by those commands, can I walk in the path of wisdom and obey the Lord? Go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6 <clears throat> for this last section here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. 
Uh, Let's just start with verses 25 and 26. Is somebody willing to read those aloud for us? Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Thank you, Jennifer. All right, thank you. Uh, The examples continue, and we could read all the way down through um, 32 for different instructions about worrying and not worrying and trusting God and all of that. I think one of my favorites is uh, verse 27. (laughs) Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I love that. Any hands? Anybody in the room that can worry and add height to yourself? Anybody? No, nobody can. Um, so the basic command of this section is obviously do not worry. Do not be anxious would be another way to put that, right? Don't worry. It doesn't accomplish anything. You can't make yourself taller. You can't solve your problems by worrying. Worrying doesn't fix it. Uh, instead, there's a father who cares for us. Uh, he, in verse 30, actually attributes our worry and anxiety to a lack of faith. He says, O oh, you of little faith, worry is a spiritual issue that must be fought with faith. And we have to fight to believe that whatever troubles come at us today, that God gives grace and mercy for us to face them. It's the same God who parted the sea, who gave manna from heaven, who made water come from a rock. The same God uh, who sent his son to die uh, for our sins. He will not fail you in your time of need. He cares even for the flowers and the sparrows, and we can trust him. He may not show us the future, right? Not reveal to us everything that's going to happen or his sovereign plan for the universe. In fact, even the son does not know the time of his return. The Father hasn't even revealed everything to the Son. It's for Him. And we have to trust Him with that. We have to trust Him with that. Uh, And so it begins by not being anxious, letting God take care of God's stuff. (laughs) Right? Stop trying to control His stuff by worrying, but to let Him. So then, don't worry. That's a good part of it. That's just kind of a stop doing something. What can we do? What's the positive, right? So we should not worry. What should we do instead? That's where we come to verse 33. And number two for your notes, seek first his kingdom and righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness. And that's basically verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So it's this promise, this beautiful promise from God. God will take care of all of these things that you're tempted to worry about. Here's what you can give your energy to. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. When we talk about God's kingdom, there's a few aspects uh, to keep in mind there. That implies God's rule. So that means that he's the king, right? God's kingdom is where he's the king. Uh, This comes up in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So to seek God's kingdom is actually to seek submission to God. (laughs) 
to participate in His kingdom is to say willingly, I want you to be in charge, and I want to be a subject (laughs) of your rule. Um, And so that's part of the way we seek His kingdom is we submit. We submit. Seeking His kingdom also involves seeking His glory, those things that elevate Him and magnify Him and bring Him honor and praise as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Seeking His kingdom involves uh, living in ways that promote the gospel so that the gospel message, which is that ticket to His kingdom, uh, goes forward. At the end of the book of Acts, we're told that the Apostle Paul was in house arrest in Rome, and the whole book of Acts ends with this statement, and he went on preaching the kingdom of God freely and without restraint. It's really cool, even though he's in house arrest. He's preaching the kingdom. Um, and so part of the way we seek the kingdom is we, we share the gospel. We live in a way that brings honor to God and his kingdom. And then righteousness. We understand that one. Uh, but that more and more, I'm aligning my life with what God has said is righteous. Okay? Uh, and so we're seeking to live in a way that's, that's pleasing to him. Seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. So knowing the will of God actually has nothing to do with like listening for his voice, interpreting signs or dreams, subjective feelings. It's about loving God. It's about cherishing His commands. It's about pursuing holiness with every ounce of energy we have. (laughs) Back to our newspaper article at the beginning. The man who had spent his 91 years trying to discern, to be sensitive to the will of God and ended up doing nothing his whole life. Had he really been sensitive to the will of God? Obviously not, right? God's decreed will, God will take care of that. God's commanded will, that's for you and me to focus on, to pour our lives into, to study and read and pray over and submit to uh, time and time again. So, as we think about concluding, we could put it this way. We walk in God's will when we trust Him as sovereign and joyfully submit to all His sovereign will allows and all His revealed will commands. His revealed will provides all the instruction we need to take steps of faith that glorify Him. So we trust His sovereignty, starts there. Number two, then, we submit. And that involves submitting to the things that His sovereign will allows, and that involves submitting to the things that His commanded will has commanded. And those two things in combination, submission to His sovereign will and submission to His written will, fully equip us to take every step along the path. It does not reveal, you know, five steps down the path or 10 years down the path or, you know, what's going to happen in the future. And that's often what we really get anxious over. But it will always make clear to us what I need to do next, always. And really, that's all we need to know to walk according to God's will. 
Here's a quotation from uh, Kevin DeYoung, again, that book, Just Do Something. Simply put, God's will is your growth in Christ-likeness. God promises to work all things together for our good, that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. And the degree to which this sounds like a lame promise is the degree to which we prefer the stones and scorpions of this world to the true bread from heaven. God never assures us of health, success, or ease, but He promises us something even better. He promises us uh, promises to make us loving, pure, and humble like Christ. In short, God's will is that you and I get happy and holy in Jesus. The only chains God wants us to wear are the chains of righteousness, not the chains of hopeless subjectivism, not the shackles of risk-free living, not the fetters of horoscope decision-making, just the chains befitting a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Die to self, live for Christ, and then do what you want and go where you want for God's glory. (laughs) It's an interesting way to put it, but it really does come down to the fact that if I'm ready to live seeking his kingdom, right, submitted to what the king has sovereignly chosen to do, just sweetly accepting what he brings. Okay, Lord, you're sovereign. All right, you know, I'm I'm not God. I can't fight it. I can't control it, so I will move forward. But I know what you do want me to do. I know you don't want me to worry. I know you want me to seek righteousness. I can control those things, so I will do that. And I'll take that next step. I'll ask you for help. Here we go. And step by step by step, we walk in the will of God, and it ends up being the path of wisdom. And the beautiful thing is, when we get off, we make a mistake, there's actually a, a path of wisdom for us in that, for that very spot right there. It's like God knew we would mess up. He's given me a plan or how to get right. Oh, I confess my sin. I turn back to God, right? Step by step by step. And so the beautiful thing is, living the, the wise life of obedience to His Word we can't you know, like permanently miss the target or get lost in the woods somewhere. His word is always helpful to us for what that next step is. Praise God that he's sovereign and not us. And praise God that in his sovereignty, he's told us how to live. Father, we thank you so much for your sovereign will, that you know all things, you've planned all things, and that we are not God. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your word is perfect. And so help us to trust you. Help us to submit to you. May we indeed not worry, but instead seek your kingdom and your righteousness. And we thank you for promising to add all the other things that we need. Help us to trust you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.